The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. Thessalonians chapter 1 we are looking at today, which will be 12 verses, verse 1 through to verse 12. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give Thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you. <coughs> Excuse me, in the churches of God, for your steadfastness and faith, in all your persecutions and in all the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considered it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. When He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Thessalonians is the next page in your Bible in front of you because it follows closely on after from the letter of the first Thessalonians. This is both in terms of time frame, it's probably about six months that's gone past between the two letters, and it's also in terms of content. Well, part of the reason behind this is because there seems to have been a false letter circulated to the church in Thessalonica by those who are opposing the church, opposing the work of God there. 
And so we'll see elements in, in this letter as we go through that will help to prove the genuineness of this letter, that it has actually come from Paul and not been a, a forgery of some sort. So the, the greeting of, of Second Thessalonians is almost word for word exactly the same as the greeting in First Thessalonians. First and Second Thessalonians start in the same way, which again is a is a note of genuineness. Oh, this is how Paul starts these letters to us. We'll also notice some of the content, especially in this chapter this morning. Some of the content, you'll see words and phrases popping up and themes that relate to what we've already talked about in the first letter to the Thessalonians. Now, just because things seem to be sort of like a collect-all sort of chapter for us where a lot of it goes over the same ground as what we've already looked like, it doesn't mean that we treat it like a maybe a lion might treat a carcass on the ground. It's not like we just walk past it like there's nothing else for us to chew on there. No, Second Thessalonians chapter 1 is laden with encouragement that we can feed on as followers of Jesus. And this starts with verses 3 and 4 of our passage this morning. Paul says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Paul is thankful that God continues to show his grace to the Thessalonian believers. He does this through answering Paul's prayers for them. Paul prayed in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 9 to 13. And that prayer is then answered here in 2 Thessalonians, verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1. We might also remember from 1 Thessalonians that our faith, love, and hope are to be practical things for, for every day of our life. You might remember we said that they're like clothing, relevant for every day. They're not to be treated as like a, a document you might file away. Okay? Our faith, love, and hope as Christians are to be practical and active in our everyday life. They're not something we file away, hidden from sight. Now, for Paul, the report that he has received of the Thessalonian believers is that their faith is actually growing abundantly, and that their love is increasing, that it is practical and active, that it's part of their everyday life. Picture a tree, if you can. If not, just look at a picture of a tree. That might help. When Paul speaks about faith that is growing abundantly, it's like how a tree grows and it strengthens. Think about the, the rings of the tree, the trunk of the tree, how you, you, you can't even necessarily see it, but a ring, a layer of a ring is added every year. That tree grows. So as the tree grows, so does a ring grow. It's an internal and organic growth. Their love for one another is increasing, says Paul. 
like the fruiting of the tree or, or like the shade that the tree provides as it grows and flourishes. The stuff that benefits the world around them. So the love of the Thessalonian believers is beneficial for those around them. It reminds me of Psalm 1 where the faithful one is said to be like a sturdy, fruitful tree. I'm not going to go into Psalm 1 because we're going to be covering that in our summer Psalter in December, so there's a reason for you to come back then. The Christian faith, Christian love, and Christian hope are growing. They are increasing, and they are sturdy elements to a Christian life. They're not stagnant. John Stott says this, he says, faith is a relationship of trust in God. And like all relationships, is a living, dynamic, and growing thing. Because the faith and love of the Thessalonians was a living, dynamic, and growing thing, it meant that although their persecutions and afflictions were increasing, through God's grace, so is their faith and love growing and increasing in abundance. And we could say that the Thessalonian believers had become, for Paul, a model of enduring Christian commitment in the face of persecution and affliction. And so he boasts about them, or he might say he speaks highly of them to others, or is like a eulogy. He speaks well of them when they're not around to others. Paul spoke about this sort of commitment in the, the face of persecution and affliction in his own um, circumstances in, in Second Corinthians. That the Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, Paul says, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, I am strong. The fact that God in His grace has been working through His Spirit, growing the faith of the Thessalonian believers, increasing their love, and establishing their hope in these difficult circumstances, Paul sees this as evidence of the righteous, or you might say the right judgment of God. says in verse 5, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. So increasing love and growing faith is evidence that God is in a believer, that he is working in and through a follower of Jesus. 
in His grace, God continues to bless the believers in Thessalonica, not curse them. He blesses them with growing faith, increasing love, and steadfast trust in Him in the midst of their circumstances. He can say that they truly are living lives worthy of God. In First Thessalonians, Paul Paul informed the Thessalonians that their suffering is not the result of God's judgment on them. Their suffering was the actions of those who actually opposed God. It was happening to them because of their allegiance to and imitation of Jesus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16, it says, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and, dis- and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. To the persecutions and afflictions that the Thessalonian believers are enduring is not as a result of their sin. It's not God's judgment on them. It's just because they are aligned with Christ. That they obey God. Paul also told them that when God's judgment comes, or was termed the day of the Lord, they would be saved from what? From God's judgment. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. Because the tables of suffering will be turned. Affliction will be no more for the people of God. And God will be right in turning these tables, in, in having suffering and wrath being measured on those who have rejected Jesus. The day when Jesus is revealed for believers, verse 10 tells us, will be a time of relief. It'll be a time of marveling. I saw that, that wonder, that wow sort of word. It also mean worship. It'll be a time of really marveling at Jesus for believers. Not so for those who reject God, who reject the gospel of Jesus who persecute his church. Those who do not know God, those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus, the day of the Lord will be a day of vengeance and destruction. God's righteous judgment doesn't allow persecutors to get away with what they are doing. It doesn't allow those who reject God to just walk away unscathed or to get away with it scot-free. Now, God's righteous 
judgment, his right judgment, is consistent with his character. It allows God to be, as he said he is in Exodus 34, compassionate and gracious. It allows him to be slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love. God's righteous judgment is consistent and it allows him to forgive wickedness, rebellion and sin. And it also allows him to not leave the guilty unpunished. God's judgment is right. And it will be measured out at the right time. In the right way to the right person. And in the right proportion. And those who follow Jesus must trust God with that. We've got to leave it to Him. Can you imagine what that means for the Thessalonian believers? They're getting hammered by those around them. And Paul says, God's judgment will come and it is right. It'll come at the right time, on the right person, in the right proportion. And yes, because God is slow to anger, we too, like our Christian brothers and sisters in parts of the Middle East today, in parts of Asia today, and in parts of Europe today, might one day suffer persecution and affliction because we are followers of Jesus. That same fate might come to us as it comes to our brothers and sisters already around the world. We can know for sure when it does come that God will be right in his judgment of believers to bring relief to his followers, those who are safe in Jesus Christ. He'll also be right in his judgment of rejectors, where his wrath will come down upon them because they have rejected Christ Jesus. Friends, today is an opportunity. Whether you're sitting in a church building or not, to ask yourself honestly, are you a believer? Do you know God and have accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ as the only way to salvation? Is that you? Or are you a rejecter? Where you do not know God, you do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the first step today. Do not leave this place without knowing where you stand with God. Because His judgment will be right. The encouragement for the Thessalonians that received this letter from Paul, and, and for us, doesn't stop there. Because as God has been growing their faith and increasing their love and establishing their hope, both in the past, what they've, been going, what they've gone through, what they're going through now, and in the future, what they'll continue to go through, 
verse 11 and 12 says this, that God will continue the transformation. It says, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that encouraging? Would that have been encouraging for them, do you think? The tree of God's church will not stagnate and rot away. It will continue. Though persecution and affliction will seek to cut it down and destroy it, it will not succeed. It will continue to grow. It will continue to provide fruit and shade for the world around us. I don't know about you, but when I, when I go through the Bible and I read passages about persecution and affliction being measured out to those who, by faith, follow Jesus, I find it hard to relate. And the reason is, it's just not my experience here. It's not what I deal with every day. Not yet. The, the, the clear fact is, we are not the Thessalonian church of the first century, are we? We're not being persecuted for our faith like they were. In fact, by and large, Western society in the 20th and this early part of the 21st century has been pretty open and receptive of the Christian faith. And therefore, when it comes to going through passages that talk about persecution and affliction against the church and needing to be like soldiers and be part of the army of God, I find it hard to picture myself in that position. Maybe you do too. Maybe we're more like soldiers who, who are always running drills, always doing, doing those training exercises and never sitting in battle. Or maybe we're, we're a bit more like the, the athletes that are always training. The cricketer that's always in the nets. And they, they never get to compete. They never get to play the game. They're always on the sideline. Maybe like them, we're suffering from a kind of training Fatigue. There are a lot of, a couple of dangers associated with training fatigue that I can see, and maybe there are some more that you could identify as well. So the first danger I see from training fatigue is that we become susceptible to go looking for a fight where we don't need to. Been trained for battle. May we get restless, we get fatigued with that, and we just want to go looking for a fight. May we'll start picking fights where there aren't any, 
we start fighting amongst ourselves. Amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. If you suspect that you might be suffering from training fatigue and, and expressing that as looking for a fight where there is none, maybe you could try asking yourself, who do I see as my enemy at the moment? Maybe you see your boss or a lawmaker as the enemy you need to be fighting against. Maybe it's a friend or a family member. Maybe it's someone at church who you see as the enemy that you're fighting right now. Friends, that might be a sign you're suffering from pain second danger that we might see is that our faith starts to lose its relevance. It starts to lose its joy. Start to wonder, well, if I'm not using this, why am I even practicing? This happens. We might be tempted to start treating our faith, our Christianity, as more like a job that we do than how we live life. Now, a job takes up between eight to ten hours a day, between four and six days a week. Something we go and do, but a lot of life is lived outside of that, outside of our employment. And when our job, our employment doesn't stimulate us anymore, doesn't give us joy anymore, when we start to question what purpose does it really have for me, what are we tempted to do? Often we're tempted to slacken off in our effort, aren't we? We're tempted to, to rip off the boss in all sorts of ways. Maybe just an extended lunch break, roller toilet paper, I don't know, something like that. We drop down a few gears when it comes to our work ethic and our productivity, don't we? Maybe we ratchet back our level of commitment. You know traffic's tough in the morning. It takes that long to get there. But I'll just arrive when I arrive. I don't really. Or maybe, maybe if it's lost, if you've lost your zeal for where you're working, you just change employers altogether. Could that be a, a a danger for Christians who are suffering training fatigue. So we look to start ratcheting back our ethic and productivity when it comes to our faith. Start slacking off or ripping off. Or worse, we look to change employer altogether. We've got to be careful about training fatigue. If you suspect that you might be starting to treat Christianity like a job rather than a faith, something you do rather than a way you live, then maybe you could try asking yourself whether you see Jesus as still being worthy of your whole life. 
ask yourself, is there anything, any part of your life that you are holding back from Him? Friends, let me just say, if you suspect that you are suffering from training fatigue, let me say a few things. Number one, you are not alone. I don't know you That's not an excuse, no. But sorry about the discomfort, right? You are not alone. But let me also remind you that you are in the game. You are actually in the fight. It's, you're, you're not just in the net hitting balls. You're not just swimming laps and never competing. You're, you're actually in it. You're in the game. You are in the fight. And we know this because as Paul said to the Ephesian church in Ephesians 6, he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. See, though you might not see the enemy in front of you, he is there. We still need to keep fighting the enemy of sin that takes place within us, doesn't it? We still fall down. The fight, you're in the fight. You're in the game. Don't be like that player that just stands on the field and is useless to the team. Who never does anything and just grows fat. They're just stagnant and rot away. Whether you realize it or not, if you are following Jesus, you're in the fight, you're in the game. You're in the battle. So, friends, be encouraged from what Paul says to the Thessalonian church this morning. Because it's the word of God for us as well. Be encouraged that God is faithful in his grace. He is righteous in his judgment. And he will continue our transformation. Are you willing to be part of it? Are you willing to press on? And be people who live lives worthy of God. I pray that the Lord takes that and speaks to our hearts this morning. Gives us an impetus to continue the fight. If you would like to pray about this or, or anything else, I'll be some people over the side here. Here to pray for you. This morning. But please, as we close the service, reflect. Where do you stand with God? And be encouraged that He is faithful, He is right, and He will continue His work in you that you pray. Loving Lord and Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today and forever. 
But although we change, now circumstances change, you do not. You are a God of grace. You are a God of grace. You are righteous. You are with us. You are at work on us and through us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And you promise, Lord, to continue that work so that as we are tested by temptations to sin, as we are tested by attitudes that would seek to serve self rather than you, Lord, you are there promising to, to grow us in our faith abundantly, to, to increase our love, and to establish us firmly in our hope. Father, I pray that that will be an encouragement to all of us today and also a challenge. For some of us, Faith is more like something we do than who we are. How Father, will you show us if that is the case? Bring us to a point where we can own it and be willing to, through your gracious power, change that. Father, some of us have found ourselves fatigued and just looking for a fight. We've treated people in this congregation, treated people in other congregations, treated brothers and sisters in Christ in the past like they're the enemy. Father, I pray through your grace, through your power, might enable us to make that right. Change us. Father, I, I ask that you would continue your work in us. So that like that tree will be firmly established in our hope and in our faith and will grow strong and be beneficial, increasing so we will be a place that is fruitful and good the world around us, I ask. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.